podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Now, Father God, as we pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 3, with our brother in the Lord, the beggar, formerly lame from birth, now leaping and praising you, that brings a crowd with an opportunity to share the, the greater work, the more important thing than the strong ankles the message of eternal life. Bless us now and help us to see some new things in a very familiar passage. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can take a seat. Must have been pretty amazing, wouldn't you say, to have been around at the birth of Christianity to get to see uh, some of those amazing miracles right before your very eyes. And out of all the miracles uh, mentioned in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, which is kind of part two to the Gospels, Jesus doing his work uh, only through the hearts of those he uh, indwells by his spirit. Um, Yeah, which one would you most like to have seen out of all those miracles? Think about it. For me, it's the reaction of people who have suffered just like lepers who their festering sores and the diseased skin and all of that, uh, what that did to a leper, it removed them from worship, it removed them from their family, it removed them from life. And then to see with one touch uh, that diseased skin come back. But for me, what I want to see is their reaction. (laughs) That's just moving even as I think about it now. Or blind guys uh, receiving their sight or or how about this last one in Acts chapter 3? This guy's uh, feet and legs are atrophied for four decades. And then suddenly, in the name of Jesus, you'll recall now, for context for this morning, we continue. Uh, Peter and John were passing by in the temple uh, going to uh, the prayer service, uh, as we saw last week. Uh, the beggar asked for some cash, but... They want to give him Christ instead. Um, the, um, Peter senses the spirits moving, and so he says, hey, silver and gold, I don't have much of that on me today, but what I do have on me and in me, the spirit of Christ, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And uh, up he went, the feet and the ankles, now robust and healthy in an instant, Suddenly, he begins to leap around like a happy antelope, (laughs) praising God. 
And so, that the, yes, so Jesus told us in John 10 that the miracles came to help us believe, and by believing, to have life in his name, that he could deliver on his promises. And so he would back up the tremendous claims of being God himself, essentially. Uh, they said, you're claiming to be God, and that's why we have to stone you to death for blasphemy. But he said, look, if I can't do what only God can do, then don't believe me. But if I claim to be God and then can do what only God can do, then you got to believe. And so the miracles were meant to help us believe, but they didn't help everyone, as we're going to see as the story unfolds. Some religious leaders and many in the crowd who shared their sentiment felt their autonomy threatened by the gospel and have closed their hearts and minds. Autonomy, running your own life and living for yourself. Yeah, that's a hurdle that uh, a lot of people can't seem to get over and perhaps will be the greatest cause of those who abide in hell. I didn't want to lose my life. I wanted to find myself. And Jesus said, finding yourself you're going to lose yourself. Lose yourself for me. You're going to find out who you really are and who God intended you to be. So miracles point to the greater work of the gospel. And so they act as attention getters. And now that this miracle has gotten thousands of worshipers, Jewish worshipers who don't believe in Jesus, um, to uh, gather and come close. So not surprisingly, after the miracle comes the message of eternal life, which is our text uh, this morning. So the stage is set. The former uh, cripple is leaping like a gazelle, as I've said. And the crowd is gathering, dumbstruck. Peter sees the crowd closing in. He knows what to do. Our victories are always opportunities to point to Jesus and eternal life. Amen. So, first the bad news, verse 11. <clears throat> While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. It's just an enclave, an overhang there. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if we did this by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is a Jewish thing. Our God, our Hebrew God, the God of Israel's at work here. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. God the Son is equal to God the Father, but he took the form of a servant to bear sin. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he decided to let him go. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of that. Now some good news. <laughs> By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, yeah, they all knew him. He was there a fixture in the temple there. He was made strong in the name of Jesus. 
it's in case you didn't hear my last sentence, it's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, through Christ, that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. All of our Old Testament points to this, saying that as Christ would suffer. It's on every page, guys. Come on. Verse 19, repent, turn around, change your heart. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing would come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who's been appointed to you, even Jesus. And now a warning. He must remain in heaven until time comes for God to restore everything. Tick, tick, tick. We're an hour closer now than when the service started to the time God wants to restore things and have his Christ appear. Christ means Messiah, chosen one. For even Moses said, and he's going to Deuteronomy here, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me and among your own people. You better listen to everything he tells you because if you don't, you're going to be completely cut off and destroyed. Verse 24, indeed all the prophets from Samuel on as many as I've spoken. As many prophets as we have, they're all saying the same thing, right? They foretold these very days. And you guys are heirs. You're related. You're connected. You're Hebrews. You're on the team of prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your children, through your sons and grandsons, somebody's coming. All people will be blessed on the earth. Who do you think he meant? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is related to Abraham. Come on, he's Jewish. What are you doing? Okay, I'm adding a few little ideas. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you. You're set up. The ball's tossed to you first, then the Gentiles. He wants to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Oh, that's hard to hear. What do you mean wicked ways? I'm a good person. Okay, then we call. we're not going to preach this part, but just so you know, the priests and the captain of the temple guard come, and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John to celebrate the goodness of God and the wow, amazement of this miracle because they saw the guy too, right? No. They come up and they're ticked. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus was alive. The same Jesus they tried to kill, right? We'll show you, dead and gone, and everybody's saying now he's alive. This is disturbing to them. They seize Peter and John, seize them. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of them grew from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, now just just a few days or weeks after the day of Pentecost, to 5,000 people. So there are thousands of people gathered because at the end of all this, 2,000 more get saved. So this is a lovely passage, amen? Let's walk through it. As I said, uh, there are three uh, 
sections, the bad news first, the good news followed by a sober warning there. And so, yeah, the bad news comes first. It's really part of the good news because you don't appreciate the good news or don't feel like you need a savior if you don't know the bad news that you are helpless and do uh, stand condemned before God. And so it would be nice to have an advocate on that great day when you'll have to answer for every single sin you've ever thought about doing, done, or just your thoughts themselves. God will come and, quote, judge the secrets of men's hearts. So if you're convinced of that, then you want the Savior. You want somebody who can speak up for you on that day and say, paid for it all. It's all true. But they turned, they met the the stipulations, and they turned around, they repented, they had faith, they surrendered their life as a demonstration of that faith, and they're all good. (laughs) That's what we want to hear. So, uh, first of all, you'll see in your text that it starts with an endearing picture of the beggar standing in the middle, arms slung around Peter and John. And it's just moving. And so, yeah, he's doing that out of affection. He can leap like a gazelle, like I just said. He's jumping like a kangaroo. He doesn't need to lean on them for uh, help standing. But there's a special bond between the spiritual lifesaver and the one who is no longer drowning. He knows. Peter and John just could have kept walking. Beggars are a dime a dozen. And that Peter put himself out there. Because look, he's going to be in jail now because he took a chance. And so, yeah, he's clinging to them in love. And so Peter wants to set a couple things straight. Uh, You don't see it, uh, obviously, uh, in the, the surface read. But let me assure you, the first words are curious. Why are you acting surprised? That's a rebuke. All right, what's he saying? He's saying, quit acting like you've never seen anything like this before. Because they had. Because let me uh, tell you, uh, in Matthew 21, it says, after cleansing the temple just three months earlier, this isn't three years ago, three months ago, so if you're talking about this today, like back in June, right? Jesus was standing in that same place, doing this same thing. It says in Matthew 21, after cleansing the temple, the blind and the lame came to Jesus and he healed them all. So not just one guy, and not just crippled people, blind people. And guess who saw it all? These same people. So so, so Peter is saying... Quit the charades, acting. Peter is expecting that because they know who he is, he's famous. And he is doing the same thing in the same name, in the same place to the same crowd with the same message. So he's like, what are you acting like? They're like, oh, what happened? Did you guys make this happen by your own power? Which is another stinging rebuke. You would rather attribute the power to do this deed 
to me, then to trace it back to the Lord, you would have to surrender to. So why are you looking at us like, you know, why are you acting like you've never seen this? Three and a half years you've seen this stuff. But oh, oh the, the mentally exhausting um, mind games that, that a seeker will play uh, to keep sidestepping uh, the gospel when they don't want to surrender. Or must we? It just seems really like a lot of work. Just come and believe. It's so much simpler. <laughs> so stop with the charades and all of that. And one more thing in verse 13, which is really going to bring at the end of the passage. He says, the gospel we're preaching, we didn't pull it out of the air. It's not some strange Gentile pagan thing. It's Jewish. He's related to Abraham. Our God is in this. And it's written on all the prophets all the prophets talk about this. So we're not asking you to step out and receive this crazy thing. There's some verifiable truths that we're sharing. And so, uh, yeah, it's not as crazy as you'd like to pretend it is. Uh, and so then he gets into uh, the meat, where he starts with some really offensive things. And he says, you're, you're guilty. You. You're guilty. You share in responsibility before God for the greatest crime in human history. You. Boom. You. So you got to understand that and own it. You got to own it. You got to own your sin, your guilt, your helplessness, your impending judgment and death before the good news can be good news to you. Right? When somebody says, I'm basically a good person, and when I die, God will say, uh, you did more good than bad, come on in. You know, we could use a guy like you in this kingdom. <laughs> Why would you need a savior? Why would Jesus need to, to lay down his life and, and be tortured on your behalf if you're such a decent person? That's the hard part, you know, uh, needing to take out smelling salts to people who think there's no problem with their life and tell them actually you need to turn. Turn from the way you're thinking, the way you're living, and, and give your heart to Christ. Um, yeah, and now cowards cut and paste and they won't tell the truth in love. They just, uh, they, don't, they don't tell people that they're wrong and they need the Lord. There's a way to do that. But, you know, <clears throat> wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's the enemy that multiplies kisses. So, yeah, we, we need to do the thing nobody wants to do, is that you're guilty. You're guilty, sir. You think you're a good person, well, I was a guy just telling me, Dave, the other day, he's all, I'm a pretty decent guy. And I said, would you agree that a pretty decent guy would keep the Ten Commandments? Of course. Okay, let's start with thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? And you know the routine here, right? And he's like, yeah, well, who does it? I said, that's not the question I asked. Do you lie? Yes, I do. What do you call that? A liar. Okay, have you ever taken anything, no matter how small, that didn't belong to you? Well, yes. Okay, well, what do you call a person who does that? A thief. Okay, so you're a lying thief. Let's, <laughs> and we've only, we've only touched two, but you're pretty decent. 
human being. Yeah, compared to serial killers, <laughs> but compared to Christ, you're filthy. You've fallen. You're corrupt. And so I could go on for days, but you understand. And so he's trying to convince them. He shocks them and says, you did the deed. These are nice religious people. They like to eat kosher and think that God uh, is, is pleased with that they avoid certain foods. Uh, they like to do the traditions, the candles, the tithing, 10% of their income. All Jews did that, uh, and a lot more than that. Um, and so they thought by their good works they were justified. And Jesus said, your good works mean nothing because you're dead in your sins. You have to be born again from above, and that happens when you trust the Son. And so he says, uh, you've seen his word. You've heard his word, I should say. You've seen his work. You've disowned and betrayed your own Messiah. All those miracles, all the prophecies, the conscience, the Holy Spirit, um, and still you shouted, crucify. Well, could a crime be greater as we move through the text, verse 15? Uh, how wicked would it be to kill the author of life, the source of your being, the one who made you? Doesn't only the monster in Frankenstein rise <laughs> to strangle its creator? I mean, who would do something like that? And that's the point of putting that in there. How, how sick are you? You are beyond cure that you would kill the God who came to save you. And God would, in his infinite love and wisdom, use your murder of him to save you. It's amazing, this gospel. And notice, you killed the author of life. Oh, is Jesus just a good rabbi? No, he's equal to God because who's the author of life? God himself. So there it is. Where does it ever say Jesus is God? Well, where doesn't it say that Jesus is God? So here he is, the source of your life. You wouldn't exist without him. And yet he comes to you in love and says, can you change your path and instead of living for yourself, live for the one who created you? And they say, well, spit in your face and nail you to a piece of wood that you created because by him all things have their being. And so, yeah, he says, you did that. So, so who killed Jesus? That's the big question, because you can hear somebody say, I wasn't even in the crowd that day. I don't even believe any of this. So how can you say that I have personal responsibility for that? Well, you know, uh, there's a quote here. It says, uh, the Bible indicts us all. If he died for you, he died because of you. Every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve, who by evidence of their own sin and rebellion to God demonstrate their happy allegiance with the ones who actually did the deed. You're in sync. If you sin, if you're hostile to the things of God ever, you demonstrate that you would vote for the killers instead of the Christ. And so that's uncomfortable, and I feel the squirming. I'm squirming. How would you like to be up here? I'd rather be sitting there with a cup of coffee. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, or on your phone. Yeah. Whoa, last minute shopping. 
Amazon one swipe. All right. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. And no, it is finished. I charge you with the crime of deicide. How do you plead? And those in heaven will plead guilty and cry for mercy, which God is wanting to give. So the good news now spans from 16 to 20. Um, It's by faith in the name of Jesus that this guy is made strong. And not only that, it's faith in his name, um, the one who suffered on our behalf, that will bring times of refreshment uh, in the Lord and salvation. And so here now the passcode to the gates of paradise given so clearly, he repeats it over and over again. Faith, trust because you can't see him. In the name of Jesus, the power and authority of Jesus Christ who claimed to be Savior of the world and God, very God of very God. It's not just faith generally, like the world loves to say, you know, just keep the faith. You know, as somebody, when I was sick the first time, uh, 20 years ago, gravely ill, and I was telling my barber at the time, uh, (laughs) I was saying, telling the story uh, and she said, so I guess it was a hairdresser, whatever. <laughs> she goes, uh, let me tell you a story. She's not from this country. She's from the Middle East. Uh, she says, listen, there was this holy man and this friend. His friend was terminally ill. And the holy man came and said, as long as there's leaves on this tree in your backyard, the tree that I have, this little plant, you will be alive and well. And so he glued the leaves to the tree, right? And the guy never died because he kept looking at the tree believing. Yeah, Mariah Carey, the famous theologian, um, <laughs> there, there, maybe you've heard of her. There can be miracles when you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe? (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Somehow you will when you believe. Let me assure you, Jesus is really far from the lyrics of this song. It's the world wants the faith, wants the warm fuzzy, wants the miracle, wants all of it except the one from whom it all comes. Because uh, they want to go to heaven at every single memorial they talk about of everybody. They're all in heaven. They're all just there, right? But why would you even be happy? That person you're talking about hated the gospel, hated Jesus, and you're saying he's in heaven. You know who's in heaven? Jesus. (laughs) The Jesus, he was like, ah, What is it with people? What is it with people? That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) All right, well, well, you got to have faith in his name. Uh, And that's why uh, his name is 
being used over and over again. And then he says something so gracious, a little more lenient than I even think was necessary, but that's how God is. Um, I know you didn't fully understand what you were doing. Neither did your leaders. Really? They saw miracles. They saw his claim. I'm equal to God in every way. Watch this. Boom. They're standing there in some of those passages. They knew a lot. But isn't it God to paint sinners in the best possible light, giving us the benefit of the doubt? Maybe you fully didn't realize it, right? Like 1 Corinthians, it says, none of the rulers of this age understood God's way of doing things, God's wisdom, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so he says, but in verse 18, this is how God brought us what he's promised. He's brought us what he's promised uh, through the prophets, Daniel, Zechariah, King David, that his servant would have to suffer. And so uh, the, the best example of that comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 53. This is 700 years before Jesus and, uh, and about the same amount of time before Roman uh, crucifixion. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So in your text, as we go back to it, he says that all the prophets were saying the same thing. Why couldn't you see it? It's hard. They want Jesus to come still to this day. The Jewish people want Jesus to come the way he's prophesied in their scriptures the second time. They just skip over the suffering part that makes the second time a safe place for those who have been paid for by the, quote, suffering servant. That's why he calls the son a servant. He took the form of a servant to bear our sins in love because that was the father's uh, plan. Now, you'll notice in Isaiah 53, it says it was the Lord's will to crush the son. So who killed Jesus? Well, you could say the Jewish authorities handed him over. They had part. The Gentiles, the Roman governor, gave the final word, even though he didn't want to. The crowd pressured him and said, you're no friend of Caesar. This is treasonous. We only have one king. You want us to report you? His blood be upon us. Do it. And he did it. So the crowd is there. But really, ultimately, whose plan was it? God the Father's. So why does God hold us responsible when they did, or them speaking, that we did what God's plan was all along? One writer said, just because God makes use of something evil in his redemptive purposes doesn't mean he condones the behavior or excuses the perpetrator. Every person exercises free will, and those who choose to do wrong, whether or not he can work it for good, 
remain accountable for their actions. And so, yeah. So he's just saying, take advantage, man. Have your, you know, if you repent and turn, own your sin, trust in him, and turn toward him away from your self-centered life. That's repentance, right? And he says, three things will come from it. Follow me in your text. Verse 19, your sin's wiped out. That's a beautiful, strong, strong language. Just like he says, I even I, Isaiah 43, I even I, says the Lord, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. When God says, I choose to forget something, whoa. He's good at doing whatever he puts his mind to. And what he wants to do is say, and he's not wink, wink, I'm just going to let you in because I feel like it. I'm I'm in a good mood today, so I'm going to let you come to heaven even though you're a sinner. No. My son paid for all of those sins. I'm, I'm just. Payment's been made in full. Come on in. No wink, wink, anything. You see, I'll blot them out for my own sake. Yes, indeed. And so God is just. Either Jesus pays your way or you pay for your own sins. And he says times of refreshing will come. When you turn away from all of that game playing and that double life and uh, our sin, uh, there's refreshment. There's a life that is truly life. Life without the guilt, he's saying, when you repent, when you turn to God and you scoot close to God and God scoots close to you, he says, there's no more weight of the guilt or the fear of death or daily anxieties and worries or painful consequences of groping around in the dark, difficulties that arise when you live for yourself. A self-centered approach to life has a lot of uh, problem. He says, you'll lose all of that and you'll have the sweet contentment because you're close to the one who made you and knows all things and is guiding you in his light and wisdom and truth and surrounded with protection and love, of course you're going to be refreshed. But you have to repent. And it didn't just happen one time. You have to repent daily. I repent daily because I sin daily. I fall short daily. I have responsive, quick uh, responses and I react right away. You know, uh, you know somebody will uh, insult or say something unkind or whatever. That's a slap in the idiom there. And he says, let it go, man, trust me. You don't have to slap him back. In fact, just say, do it again, you missed the spot. You, you know, that's not how I usually operate right away, right? And so then after you slap back, then the Lord goes, Remember the verse? And it's like, oh. And so what do you do? You repent. You don't pretend you didn't do it and keep saying what a decent guy you are. You know? We say, we are unprofitable servants just doing what we should do. And even then, not really good at it. And so, yeah. And he says, uh, and you'll be ready for the grand finale when he, the coming one, will come. As Yeats put it, that one far-off divine event toward which all creation moves, tick, 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 it's coming. And instead of feeling dreadful, you guys, about the state of the world, which doesn't seem like it may ever go back to how it used to be, 
That's a sign. You do know biblically it's supposed to go from bad to worse, and that's a quote. So that's a sign for you that times of refreshing are coming when he appears to save us, take us out of harm's way, and then let all heaven loose on the judgment that will bring human history to its uh, God-appointed conclusion. So that times are refreshing. He who sits on the throne says this, behold, I am making everything new. Yeah, so don't expect it without Jesus. No, that's a sign for you to get excited, happy, and start living a little bit more seriously. We don't have time to finish up uh, this last paragraph, but I can sum it up for you here. So he's really, he's going to say this. Uh, There's a time when he's coming, and it's been promised. And by the way, even our Moses, who they love Moses. They They love Moses like we love Jesus. All right, Moses is there, Jesus. All right, and so he's saying, Moses said there's going to be a prophet who comes, and you better listen to him, or you're going to be cut out of the family will, you know. And then he goes on and says, everybody's uh, said it. And then he says, I love in verse 25, he says about Abraham, he says, Jesus is blood related to Abraham through Mary. He didn't have a human father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But he's going to say, the exalted man in heaven, the God-man, is Jewish. He's trying to tell them, you guys, we, you have before you the advantage that no other nation, it came, the, 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 the revelation came to the world in Hebrew. Through us, through our fathers, he, he shares in our DNA to this day. And he says, are you going to fumble the ball given such an advantage like that? It's kind of like asking an American. You know, I mean, there's churches everywhere. The gospel is everywhere. Uh, you don't get killed yet uh, for believing. Uh, and so, yeah, you didn't hear that last part. That's okay. <laughs> You took it seriously. I don't blame you for not laughing. You're like, yeah, it could actually happen. And so, yeah, um, this is the advantage here, uh, that the Lord allowed you to live in a country where you could hear over and over again and uh, freely receive and then maybe get you know people marginalizing you or mocking you but not killing you. So God gave you a great advantage. He put some of you in Christian families. He put some of you yoked together with a Christian. He, 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 he set you up in a way others were not set up. Why? Well, we can ask him when we see him, and we are going to see him, and it seems like any day now. Amen? Amen. So he says, now, All that's standing in the way of all the blessings of God is one little word, repent. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you, God, for the way back. 
We wouldn't even take it if it weren't for your kindness. Your kindness leads us by your spirit, taps us on the shoulder of our souls and says, hey, 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 turn around. What are you doing? Feel bad about this. Because if you didn't say all of that, we wouldn't do it. So thanks for that kind of mercy and love. We praise you in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.